Rouge. They're squirmy and wormy and purple and green. The grossest little creatures that you've ever seen. Please, Fill the monster mold with the colored plastic goop and make a creepy crawler from a yucky monster soup. They're ucky, yucky, squirmy, wormy, very scary, sometimes hairy, squiggly, wiggly, creepy crawling. Please, out your sister. Embarrass your dad. You can be a little creep without being bad. So Creepy It's Carpenter is a two-month Halloween series featuring the best and the worst of Carpenter's horror movies, including The Fog, Ghost of Mars, Christine, and more. The Thing and They Live sold separately. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com, and I'm joined with our co-host, Martin. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. We had a little bit of a break there in between uh, the episodes that we did for our Red Hot 80s Action Summer. We had planned on doing Roadhouse it just didn't work out. I watched it. I was ready for it. And then COVID got bad again. And, you know, I have uh, kids at home that aren't vaccinated. So had to be a little careful. And uh, it ended up being that we weren't able to get together to, to record that episode. But I think we're still going to try to do it at some point, right? Be like I'd, little, like, I'd like to. A little lead in or a little uh, extra episode at some point for Roadhouse. That was the first time I had seen it, too. I've never seen Roadhouse before that. I enjoyed right. it, too. Now you have. Now so, I had, and I'm sure I'll have to watch it again, because I I mean, I remember it, but I, not enough to do a podcast on it. Swayze just uh, roundhouse kicking other people. It's such a manly movie. It's just like the epitome of manliness. It's like bare breasts. Sam Elliott. Sam, yeah, Sam Elliott, just being Sam Elliott. It's just a manly movie. I don't want to go too far into it because we got to do a whole episode on it. We can't give it everything away. Maybe we'll do it for Christmas. Is there Christmas in there? Is there Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, there is Christmas in it. Yeah. See? There yep. you go. Mm-hmm. Throw it in for the festival. Yeah, it is a yeah, it does have Christmas in it, I believe. Well, there you go. Those are the <laughs> unlikely <laughs> pick for Festivus. Roadhouse. <laughs> so festive. No, but we've got other festivities uh, for the podcast. As if Sep- you if you've listened Septem- to us, September first, yeah, absolutely September first when we're recording this episode. If you've listened to us, you know that we do big shenanigans for the Halloween season. We always do something. We always do a special, and this season is no different. Even though COVID is flaring up, we're doing this thing uh, um, uh, remotely. So, you know, no no danger to either of us. But uh, we are still going to get our Halloween episodes out there. Uh, and as you have probably seen in uh, past iterations of our Halloween season, uh, we do it weekly. So we, we forego the bi-weekly schedule. We say, fuck it, we're going to do an episode a week. Listen, if you're an old school fan, then you know we've been doing it. We used to do it for like the first half weekly. Yeah. Yeah, we did the... Uh, Probably a hundred or so episodes weekly, you know, just kind of like bam, bam, bam. We're on year six now. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And we've done lots of Halloween episodes um, throughout. So, you know, you can always revisit those if we're not giving you enough content, but we're going to have good content this time. Well, just so if people want to revisit, Ryan, what are, what are some of the themes for Halloween that we've done so far? Well, the biggest one that we've done is the Halloween retrospective basically we did all the halloween episodes so we did 
the the entirety of the Halloween se- series, which was uh, a pretty big undertaking. Um, we have we have done the Saw series. That is a, that was an early one. Tried and true. Absolutely. Very early. Uh, may have been. I think it was the second Halloween, right? Yeah, it was second Halloween that we did. The first Halloween was like we were still getting started, so we didn't do like a an actual series. We just did an episode on the Halloween, like Halloween movies that like we like to watch for Halloween, uh, and not even necessarily Halloween movies, but movies in general that we like to watch for Halloween. Well, I was saying we did the Wes Craven uh, retrospective. Yep, and we did that because he, he recently uh, had passed. Yeah, and uh, that's interesting because we don't normally do episodes that aren't on one specific movie. Like we, in early on in the, I guess in our podcasting days, we we did a couple of those types of episodes. We even did a video game episode, but um, we don't generally do those anymore. But John, yeah. I would love to redo that Fallout Four episode just because uh, my thoughts on that game have changed greatly over the years. <laughs> Um, what else do we do for Halloween? We've done uh, remake a ween. Yep. So we did a bunch of remakes, um, and uh, that was pretty fun. And we did Anthalloween, which was a bunch of anthology movies, um, including some Halloween mo- movies. Obviously, Trick or Treat, um, Tales of Halloween, and then um, what did we? Oh, we, last year we did um, because we actually had taken another break because of COVID. Uh, last year we did um, Reanimated, which was a bunch of zombie films. So we've done a lot of themes on Halloween. This year we've got another theme, and because we've already done all of the Halloween films, and you know Halloween Kills is coming out this October, supposedly coming out this October, unless uh, schedules get rearranged again. Um, we couldn't really go back to the Halloween, um, you know, think tank. So we had to pick something else. So it made sense to, instead of picking Halloween stuff, we do a carpenter month or well, not month. It's actually two months, but we do a carpenter series of films. And of course, because it's Halloween, we're not going to dive into the carpenter action, um, movies that he's done um, as well, because it just doesn't really fit with the theme. So we're going to stick to horror films in Carpenter's canon. And we're calling it So Creepy It's Carpenter. And Martin, do you want to explain why we're calling it So Creepy It's Carpenter? Yeah, because if you have followed the podcast, you would know we've already done a half of Carpenter's menagerie of films. Yeah. Uh, so we're not doing the Halloweens. We're not doing the thing. That was our hundredth episode, but we and we've also done some random ones too, like Into the Mouth of Madness. So this year we're gonna do. We thought, you know what? We want to do the good, the bad, and the ugly of John Carpenter. Cover it all. So creepy, it's Carpenter. Yeah, you're gonna a- go. You're gonna go from one moment be like, "Wow, this is great," to, "Wow, what what happened?" Right, and that's where the creepiness comes in. It's like, "Wow, this is a Carpenter movie." So we wanted to get the gamut, and we didn't want to just do, you know, good films because, to be honest with you, we've already done most of the good films, um, especially in the horror, um, you know, the horror genre for him. You know, we've done a lot of the good films, so we're left with a mix of good and not so good. And I actually 
think we're leaving out the worst. I, I don't, depending on the schedule, you know, his, his latest, I guess you would call last directorial, uh, feature is probably his worst. And I don't even know if you've seen it. It's the ward. No. Um, I saw it no. quite a while ago. Never had an, an interest in revisiting it. So, uh, we'll see if we get to that, but I've planned out for at least seven other films. And today's episode is going to tackle one film that I would consider like one of the more moderate uh, films in his output. His, uh, you know, like mediocre offering. Um, because I would say that Carpenter doesn't have a lot of mediocre offerings. It's either quite good or, you know, kind of bad. And so... This one is uh, – it was kind of good to start off with this one because it makes sense to, I don't know, like just start out in the middle and then work our way into the good and the bad. So a little bit of a kickoff for the, the Carpenter series. So I don't know if anybody's gotten an idea of what that film is, but we're talking about Vampires from 1998. It's a later title in uh, Carpenter's oeuvre. Um, it is, you know, not, I would say not one that is a super popular title that people reference a lot. I don't know if you've, you know, seen a lot about it from Carpenter, but it, it tends to almost be one of those movies that a lot of people may not even recognize as a Carpenter movie. Um, no, uh, to be honest with you as big of a Carpenter fan as I am, I've kind of, for the most part, have stayed away from his trash <laughs> or lesser looked upon films. I'm not saying that's how I feel about this film. but So it's not something that I really ever have seen because it's not like, oh God, you know, we were like nine, ten years old when this film came out. It's not like there was any, uh, any great, uh, you know, commercials or anything for it. It's, I've never seen it pop up on uh, TV. Obviously, from watching the film, you can, you'll see why it'd be kind of a hard edit to do. But, you know, it's not anything that's ever kind of escaped my eye. And plus, I don't know why, but I don't know if you've also noticed, what the hell was up with, like, mid to late two, uh, 90s and then cramming vampires and the Southwest? Mm-hmm. Yep. Very he had this from Dust Till Dawn, some you know, other efforts. Yeah, it's uh for some reason something of a popular uh little like experience, the Western vampire. And that's really sums up vampires quite well. <laughs> it's a western vampire movie. It's a spaghetti western but yeah. with vampires. Yeah, it's uh you know, it certainly has some of the elements that Carpenter had done previously in, you know, some of his uh, other Western-esque output. Um, you know, it somewhat, somewhat reminds of, like, um, you know, some of his uh, s scores from some of his other movies, like Escape from L.A. has kind of like a twangier score sometimes, um, especially, uh, you know, like, especially because it's a later output film for him, too. Um and we'll talk about the score a little bit because I, I do want to get into that in Vampires quite a bit because, you know, Carpenter did work on the score here. Um, but it does have a lot of what I would call like Western influence to it. And um, 
it it does feel in some ways like a very familiar film because of from dust till dawn even though i would say that they do have differing you know elements to them i would say that from dust till dawn and vampires do share quite a bit um in terms of like graphic design setting um even you know the atmosphere that they create and the you know it's so almost like uh action horror film um less than it is like a traditional horror film that carpenter would do and things like prince of darkness which we are going to cover on this uh series too um which is more traditional horror and this one is a lot more action oriented um and almost comedic at times and that's another really common theme with these 90s movies about vampires in the midwest and it's uh you know it's it's definitely interesting how familiar it feels at times. And I don't oh, know about I, you, but I, you know, From Dust Till Dawn is a good movie. I do enjoy it. Um, and I guess we can we can uh, get into more detail about comparing them when we uh, get get more into the film. But it's, well, uh, I, all I can think of when I think of uh, From Dust Till Dawn is Clooney's hair and just how fucking incredibly nineties it is. That like, <laughs> you don't think of Salma Hayek. I there's many other films to think of Selma Hayek. <laughs> yeah, this is it's just another one, but no, just that poster of Clooney with his Caesar haircut always gets me. You know, he's kind of got like a nice little smile, and Tarantino was looking like a dumbass in the background. But yeah, I don't know. Like you said, like I I don't I don't know. Like was it was Coppola's uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula like the catalyst that gave us like a litany of vampire films in the 90s could be because you had a lot coming out then not just with the western flair to it but you know i guess every decade has like it's it's movie that or it's it's a genre that kind of takes precedence you know zombies were pretty big in the oos and um i don't know I, i i don't know why vampires took precedence maybe there was a a really big explosion of vampire sightings in the the nineties. You know, it's it's the the time of um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I don't know. It's just a and Blade. Yeah, it's just a, a time for vampires. I don't know. Maybe the goth resurgence was was really taking place in the nineties. <laughs> People going around thinking, or not. I, I guess not thinking, but. Uh, pretending to be vampires, sucking other people's blood and things like that. I remember seeing, um, I don't know what it was, but it was uh, some of those like TV shows, like almost paranormal. I don't know if it was like, uh, it wasn't Unsolved Mysteries, but it was some of those TV shows that um, would dive into like the fringe of um, like culture. And I remember seeing an episode on vampires, like, you know, like people pretending to be vampires and the whole the whole counterculture that that was uh creating there's people like going around with you know obviously fake vampire teeth in their mouth and biting people that was a big thing i remember you want them at carnivals all the time in the 90s the plastic vampire teeth yep all right um so before we get into vampires let's take a break real quick and talk about um any beer that we've got on the show um i don't know if you actually have any uh i don't really have anything um right now but i can talk about something 
we can talk about something. I don't have anything because I've been just enjoying the same beer all summer. Gotcha. Yeah. I did ask Martin to go out yesterday and get me Sloop's new uh, – well, not new. They've had it out in p- previous years, but it's it's out again this year. Sloop's No Pumpkin. And it's new to me. Um, if you're not in the know about Sloop, you know, we've done a couple of beers of Sloop's on here. But Sloop um, has a series of beers. Uh, they're New England-style IPAs, and they are the No series. So it's um, – no, and then whatever season we're in, they kind of structure it around that. So summer has no tan lines. Um, winter has like no – can't even remember what the winter one was. There's was no uh, something. In fall has no pumpkin, which is a play on the fact that everybody starts making pumpkin beers during the fall. So to go against that, Sloop says there's absolutely no pumpkin in this no pumpkin IPA, which makes sense. Uh, I don't really want pumpkin in my beers, especially in IPA. So some people actually think that's kind of a joke. They're like, oh, is there pumpkin in it? It's like, there, no, there's no pumpkin, literally. So as we've talked about, Sloop makes a really good IPA. They have that down. That's like kind of their staple. And I would say that no pumpkin is another really good New England style IPA from them. What I would say about all of the no series is that they tend to be very, very similar. They tend to be, um, you know, they taste relatively the same. I would probably need to sit down and like try no tan lines and no pumpkin back to back to see what is the main difference between them. Because I would argue that they are very, very similar, at least from what I've experienced and there may be just a subtle change in the recipes that they do. Um, and yet, here I am going out of my way to buy it each time I see a Sloop No Series beer come out. So well, That's how you know they got our money. That's right. Because I, I, I didn't get it this time, and I didn't want to take a can from you because you were looking very forward to it. <laughs> so, um, But no, I mean, we, we've done an inordinate amount of Sloops on this program. And we say the same thing every time. It's good. It's a Nipa from Sloop. Couldn't be damned to tell you the difference between them all. You just know it's enjoyable and yep. worth worth the venture. Yep. And that, I mean, that's, you know, I do go out of my way to try them and get them and try the new stuff that they've got coming out. You know, I just want to see what the, you know, what they've got going on and Uh, They make a really good beer, and the only problem is maybe my discerning taste buds are not good enough to figure out exactly what the difference between them is, but uh, they're always very solid. Maybe we should hire ourselves a sommelier to go and, you know, do the testing for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we should. And just be like, what do you taste in this? Because I know that Sloop in their uh, write-up says that it tastes like grape and and blackberry which i have to vehemently disagree with i don't really get a blackberry flavor to it at all that would be very delightful i would love to try a nipa that has blackberry notes and yeah well i i let me let me rephrase i shouldn't say notes actual flavor like an actual like ooh, that tastes like a red grape and blackberry you know that'd be delightful if it's just noted and barely discernible to the common man yeah uh, you know. I, I mean 
I could say maybe I get a little bit of grape to it. Definitely don't get the blackberry though. You know what they should start doing is this it's not just them, but the beer makers in general. They should just uh don't even leave a description and so and like go to Reddit and see what everyone thinks it actually tastes like. Yeah, and absolutely. then just just watch every amateur sommelier be like, Yes, no, I taste uh pine nuts and uh it tastes like a pesto IPA. Well no, I taste I taste I I taste stone fruit, you know, and just let that let the, you know, and just be like what a bunch of idiots and just let them go. Yeah. So you don't have anything else, huh? You don't you don't you didn't have anything new to try? I had a Utica club on tap when I went to the New York State Fair. Mm, very and nice. The, and that was delightful. It's $4. It's great. And I had one in a can. Very nice. Utica Club, one of the few things that FX Matt, a.k.a. Saranac, still makes that's okay. Nice. All right. So, let's get right into vampires, because I know you said you have quite a bit to talk about here. And the first thing that I want to start with, the real initial thing, is when you think about a 90s movie from John Carpenter... You know, there's a there's a, a a tried and true thing that you get from lots of like '90s movies that were not really super popular. You go for Baldwin Brothers, you know, <laughs> and in this case, Carpenter went real down the line. I don't know. He didn't go with Steven. No. Okay. Stop. Is Daniel worse than Steven? I don't think so. I think Steven's much worse than Daniel. And then, of course, Billy being the least Baldwin brother. You don't, you don't, you don't think, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I tend to find Daniel Baldwin to be the least of the Baldwin brothers, but I don't know. It's I mean, tough. It's I, tough. I mean, I mean, after Elk, it is just you know straight downhill, and it's a race to the bottom. But I would say Daniel is better than Stephen, and Billy's easily the worst. Well, <laughs> <brother>. <laughs> it's a race to the bottom, is right. But we also all, have to- I was say all I can think of when I hear like the Baldwin brothers is the bit in the South Park movie where the, the Canadians bomb the Baldwin brothers. And they're like, yeah, fuck you, you missed me. I think it was like Daniel Baldwin's like the last Baldwin to get bombed. He's like, hey, you missed me, fuck it. And he gets bombed. And then like America mourns today, the Baldwin brothers have been killed. And that's our reason to go to war. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the other thing that we have to mention is that we have James Woods here. James Woods. Doing his very best um, mangler impression. Well... So in with James Woods, you know, if you look real quick, especially in Vampires, right at the beginning of the film, you're kind of like put into the action, obviously, and uh, you know we're 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 storming a compound. Well, James Woods is looking very much like, uh, you know, uh, David Caruso in this movie to the point where I was yes. kind of like just paying attention <laughs> at the beginning of the film, like real quick. I looked away, then I looked in. And there was like a medium shot of them all standing there ready to storm the uh, 
the the house with the vampires in it. And he's got his shades on. He's got his hair slicked back a bit. You know, medium length hair, uh, leather jacket, tight jeans tucked in. And I was like, "Damn, David Caruso's in this movie." It's like fucking CSI Miami right here. You're, you're expecting him like after like he like stakes somebody and he's like, "How do you like your steak?" Yeah, right. Done. Exactly. Yeah, um, James Woods caught me by surprise, and um, you know I don't know if anybody else has seen James Woods recently, uh, but he's a bit of an asshole. <laughs> I say that leniently saying that he's a bit of an asshole. Um, sometimes I like to go out of my way on the Coltsploitation Twitter to just like uh, tweet James Woods and say like, yeah, you're still an asshole, James Woods. I, I do I do like that. Uh, because, you know, James just be, Woods. Just be like, September 1st, 2021, James Woods, still an asshole. Absolutely. Um, and it is interesting because... Uh, you know, I feel like I feel like Carpenter. It would probably have second thoughts about working with James Woods now, right? But well, according to Wikipedia, because I guess I I don't know James. I mean, I I know some of his work, but I wouldn't say I'm a avid follower of James Woods. But apparently, he's had a reputation of being an asshole, and Carpenter was like, "Yeah, no, he wasn't bad. We kind of had a deal of like, don't be like this big of a douchebag, and you can do what you want to do." And it worked out fine. <laughs> well, so you get Carpenter and James Woods on set. You know, both notably known for somewhat being assholes in different ways. Obviously, Carpenter is not the same type of asshole that James Woods is, but they're both what I would call surly. And I can see how the atmosphere would be clashing if you didn't have that sort of mutual respect going on. Like, I, I don't know if a movie would get done. So I guess I, I understand where they're coming from in that. Like, you know, I, I'm kind of curious to about the casting. Like, why did they have James? Why did they pick James Woods? Like, what was what was the, uh, you know, the, the, the thing it, that it, was like, we got to get James Woods. The impetus, I'll tell you, it's right on. Um, it's right on the Wikipedia. Oh, Origin- you- apparently, originally they wanted um, Dolph Lundgren. Couldn't get him. Wouldn't that just have been awful? Would have been odd. <laughs> That's for sure. And then uh, Carpenter said he was looking for somebody unique to play Jack Crow and avoid another muscle-bound meathead. So he considered Clint Eastwood. Would have been fun, but Clinton by the 90s was, especially after Unforgiven, kind of meh. Kurt Russell would have been, again, good choice, but uninspired, seeing as he's been in like every other fucking Carpenter film. Bill Paxton, no thank you. Pacino, <laughs> Pesci, or Arlie Ermey. All terrible choices for this film. Arlie Ermey J- would have been horrible. So James Woods like the right kind of uh, right guy, and the reason why we got Daniel Baldwin is because Alec Baldwin was originally earmarked to play the part and had to drop out and recommended Daniel to play the part. So, according to Wikipedia, hmm. Well, interesting stuff right there. Yeah, but no, I mean, just imagine. I think out of like all the ones they would have had, like Kurt Russell, obviously would have been the best one to do it. But like, like Pacino. 
I mean, I love Al Pacino. No. I love Joe Pesci. No. Arlie Ermey? God, no. Joe Pesci would have been a really odd choice. Uh, that just... I don't understand why... You vampire even... motherfucker, you! <laughs> I'm not even really sure why that would have been a thing. that they. You even... know, they should have thought of Ted Levine. Oh, yeah, there you go. Ted Levine not... was being was being used for other things in the 90s. He's too busy to play a vampire hunter. Because, uh, like I said, James Woods in this film is literally Ted Levine from The Mangler. Yep, and and so Carpenter's, you know, Carpenter playing this up as director, you know, obviously is... And he didn't write this. It's it's important to know. Uh, Carpenter did not write this movie. He's, he's only director on this one, uh, along with the um, score. And... Uh, you know, so he's playing up the kind of actiony, um, I don't know what you call it, but like you know, it has a very like masculine vibe to it. Very, I would say, I would say also '90s disaster film. The whole yeah. opening bit with them and like their little convoy of jeeps and shit—it's like Jurassic Park and Twister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With the whole jeep thing uh, like, driving around. We gotta chase this fucking storm. We gotta get it. We're the hippie twister hunters. You know, we do it for the science, not the money. Yeah, and so the interesting thing about vampires right off the bat is that, you know, it does are, are we supposed to call it John Carpenter's vampires or vampires? Whatever you want to call it. You want to call it John Carpenter's vampires? You go right it, ahead. Because this is like at the time where John Carpenter's name was getting slapped on everything. Kind of like a Brett Ratner film. Yeah, sometimes. And sometimes they did that. So, like, they did um, that for the sequel because John Carpenter was not involved in the sequel. Um, vampires, I think it was like Los Muertos or something. Um, he was not involved in the sequel, so they s- slapped John Carpenter's vampires on there and give him a give him a nice shout because probably because that was required. <laughs> Starring John Bon Jovi, are you fucking kidding <laughs> yeah. me? Yeah, that's another one that we'll have to do at some point. <laughs> <God damn. laughs> yeah, um, but you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. So the interesting thing, like right off the bat, that you notice about vampires, though. <laughs> Is that um, it has that Western vibe, but it also doesn't. Like, it has a Western vibe, but like, with the, the soundtrack and the, the atmosphere, the setting. But also, at the same time, it has more of like a very generic 90s action movie t- uh, feel to it as well. So, it's a, kind of all over the place in terms of its mood and, and setting. But one thing that you do get is a lot of... Uh, smoldering looks from from james woods and a lot of close-ups of james woods looking taking his sunglasses off at unnecessary points yep and what you also get is james woods having like no depth whatsoever james woods is literally james woods just being uh james a bland james woods stereotype and that's pretty much all you get from james woods there's no depth the same person throughout. The only depth you see is when he thinks he's going to get a little, uh, a little tail at the beginning of the movie. Stop. And that's Here's it. Where you're wrong. James was very depth. He emotes incredibly well. He's always saying shit, fuck, god damn it, assholes. 
He's great. Just listening to him, like, just fucking curse his way throughout the film. Like, he doesn't even seem like he enjoys being a vampire hunter. Like, he's just, like, he hates it. It's it's a, it, it's his burden to bear. He just hates everything, really. He's just, he's a surly curmudgeon, but a hot curmudgeon. And then, and the other thing that I like, too, is that there's, he's always somewhat at odds with everybody in his crew. And his crew really dwindles after that first, um, you know, scene where the, first the master off, they're, vampire. They're not. A crew through a team. They, they they say that like thirty times in the opening. The team follow the team. The team team team. We're on the team. Teamwork team. Rule number team 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 <laughs> team team. That's like the first like twenty minutes of this film. Team, come on team. The team's dead. We're a team. Gotta do this for the team. Yeah, I I I thought it was interesting. You know that. Um. They, the film really gets rid of the team right off the bat, and it's just James Woods and Daniel Baldwin for the most part, with Cheryl Lee tagging on. And if you don't know Cheryl Lee, she's a part of Twin Peaks, and um, you know she she's a big part of this film because she is the only link to the Master Vampire, which is the main villain of this movie, um, a Master Vampire that is attempting to get to a cross that will keep him alive during the sun um, so he can, you know, be a sunwalker, basically. A daywalker is to call it in Blade. Yeah. No, we don't want... No, we can't use that here. This is vampires. This is not Blade. We can't use daywalker. We call it sunwalker. <laughs> but, uh, so that's... The, the whole plot of the movie is basically, you know, James Woods playing, playing Jack Crow. What a name! I know it's just it's, it's great. <laughs> Not only so you get the everyman part of that because he's Jack, but then you get the you know kind of mysterious, um, dark, you know, somewhat moody crow to that. So it was very very well thought out, Jack Crow. Um, we have James Woods playing Jack Crow, who is pretty much. You know, obsessed with just killing vampires, even though, like you said, he seems uninterested in pretty much everything and could potentially need some Zoloft. You know, let's just throw that out there. <laughs> he seems pretty much in, uninterested in everything, and yet he is very obsessed with taking down vampires. It's like his sole purpose. And, uh, you know, it becomes his, I guess, his burden find this master vampire and take him out. Wouldn't you call that a perfect metaphor? Perfect it's metaphor? Like, yeah. yeah. Like he hunts vampires. The vampires plagued with its disease. And Jack Crow has his own demons to fight. <laughs> it's perfect. It's great. It's, it's, it's as, poetic. Uh, as, 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 as George Lucas said when describing this, uh, the prequels, it's poetry. You know, it's uh, it's poetry. I mean, to be fair, Vampires is a very basic movie. It really doesn't have that much going on with it. Um, it's, I think it's I think its simplicity works though. It does. It does. I, I you know, it starts off kind of like in in the action, and you you get some things it as it goes off, along. Let's say it starts off like Twister and From Dust Till Dawn met 
and then with a little bit of Into the Mouth of Madness, because that opening riff for the music in that is like straight from Into the Mouth of Madness, like ding, 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 and they, you know, come riding up on their convoy, and they got, you know, Assault Team 7 rolling into this, uh, as they call it, a nest of vampires. And they have the most ridiculous-looking fucking crossbows ever. That was a distraction. The crossbows they were wielding. These big, gigantic, unwieldy, like, bright silver crossbows. Prop team failed on that one. That one is... That, yeah, that, 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 that's bad. Extremely distracting crossbows. <laughs> well, so... The, Which uh, also, too, that ca- that action scene's great because one, I, I will say one of the great things about this film is how they dispose of vampires and they throw the rules out. Like, it's only a stake through the heart of the sunlight. Which is fine. And it makes them, you know, the vampires a lot more menacing to deal with instead of having, like, oh, you can do silver bullets and garlic and all this other crap. Um, so the whole, like, them dragging them out into the sunlight with a jeep with the winch hookup that's cool, and then the effect for when they drag them out, they don't just, like, burn. They literally light the person on fire, and they explode. It's fucking great. It's one yeah, of the best parts of the film. There's, uh, you know, there's good K&B effects here. Um, they they certainly have, yeah, I think they, they kind of went interesting with this because they didn't want to go the traditional vampire route. They wanted it a little bit different. Um, and they wanted the vampires to feel a little bit more formidable, right? So you you can't have vampires that are scared of crosses and uh, you know holy water don't appear in mirrors, stuff like that, because that tends to make the vampires feel like they're too weak for our protagonists, especially as we've seen this very climactic first battle um, where they go in and wipe out a den of vampires. You don't really want that vampire. Um, to feel too weak. So what they do is they circumvent all of the traditional vampire lore, except for the fact that they can't go in the sun. And then that sun becomes the main focus of the plot because they, that's their really their only weakness besides, you know, obviously being staked in the heart and their heads cut off is that they can't go out in the sun. So if they can get rid of their one weakness, then guess what? They're, they're pretty much protected throughout the entirety of uh, day and night. So that becomes the reasoning behind why we need such a epic vampire hunter, as in, you know, Daniel Baldwin and James Woods, and why they need the help of multiple people, including a, a father who <laughs> James Woods keeps referring to as Padre throughout the entire movie, which I enjoy quite immensely. Um so they need the help of him and Cheryl Lee's character, Katrina, uh, who has been bitten and is the only psychic link to the master that they have so they can kind of track the master. How'd you like that nice uh, sexual bite? It wasn't at the neck. He went right down for the inner thigh. So traditionally, vampires are fairly sexual. Um, you know, if you think back to even Dracula, Nosferatu, the risque element within those that period is pretty sexual and and also there's obviously innuendo involved with uh a man who slips into a woman's room you know an unsuspecting woman or um you know an in what you would call an innocent woman 
um, there's always been that sort of innuendo for sexuality. And what you tended to see later in the 90s, especially after, especially as you said, after uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, was a very sexualized version of, of vampires. Um, and Anne Rice had a nice part in this as well. Um, but in here, it's kind of interesting. Vampires initially seems to go for that sexual route, you know, especially with Katrina, because she's uh, a lady of the night, which is kind of another interesting metaphor there. She's a lady of the night, and then she becomes well, the a... whole way. Uh, the whole way that bit's shot is like shot like as if he's like, you know, that bite is like on her thighs to represent like muff diving because he like dives right down, bites her, and you know, it's like the way the shot looks. It's like, oh, he's going down on her. Yep. And yeah, it's it's a uh, but but what the film doesn't really do ever again is that is create that sexuality again for vampire bites. Uh, even later on uh, with Daniel Baldwin's character who has fallen for Katrina, um, and she bites him. There's not really a sexual element to that one. Um, it's more just like a out of necessity she bites him. So it is interesting that only one, one scenario in this movie has that sexual element to it. And it happens to be Cheryl Lee, who is looking quite sexy in this movie, especially in that one nude scene that she has laying out on the on the bed. Um, Very 90s they went to the, the top with the bra just peeking out at the top, like, ooh, look, like, look at me. Oh, you mean in her regular, like, low-cut top? Yeah. yeah the the little know, bra. Yeah, like, very 90s, like, oops, like, it's supposed to be, oopsies. <laughs> it was like, an accident. It's just... Like, you know, like a tar thing, like, what did I do? Yep. Oopsies. But that whole, that whole opening bit, though, like I said, is, it's, I really like that. Like, so I really enjoy the opening, like, you know, fight that they have with, with the nest, the den of vampires. I really enjoy the whole, like, you know, they get light, lit asunder and, like, go up like a fucking bit of firecrackers. That's really cool. And then you got this weird, you know, them relaxing at a hotel with a sheriff there, and they're all drinking, and they got hookers and whatever the hell. And then all of a sudden, when the ma- our va- master vampire, Valak, shows up, it was really cool to watch him just kind of go through and just slaughter these people willy-nilly, like, real easy. Like, the whole, like, he shoved his hand into one guy and then, like, ripped his hand up and then split him in half. That was pretty cool. That's actually a uh, guy from Sons of Anarchy, if you yeah. haven't seen that movie or that I, show. I have not yet. But, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, so that, like, whole thing is cool. Um, the only thing, like, like, with some of that stuff I take umbrage with is, like, the editing is not that great. It's very TV movie-esque. Yeah. With like the fa- very flashy, very the, uh quick the cuts. Fa- yeah, the fades, the quick cuts, the especially like when uh Katrina gets, you know, jumped in her hotel room that like reds like it goes to red and then like, you know, that's like just like cheesy as shit and they do it a couple of times. But like overall, I think like that whole bit is pretty pretty nice and pretty, you know, pretty good setup. Yeah, I think that um, this is interesting because it. I, I think at times this doesn't really resemble too much of a Carpenter movie with the directing. Um, it's not – I think he, he handles it fairly well and he certainly has the Western elements um, infused into this movie. But 
I think the script really takes precedence here and kind of Carpenter was just along for the ride. Um, you know, it's a job, really. It doesn't feel like there's much of his signature to this movie. Whereas you might get that in in a couple of other movies. Even the even the script itself, um it doesn't feel much like a Carpenter movie because there's not a lot of commentary here. Um I, I guess there there's a little bit about the Catholic Church and uh um you know the 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 one father in this movie who's kind of uh the uh the mole uh for the vampires but there's not a lot of commentary here either so i found vampires lacking in that respect where it doesn't necessarily feel like a carpenter vision it's more just like carpenter was here and he just you know put it together i don't know if you felt that way too but I didn't get much of his signature element here. No, but I think it's like a nice, like, like I said, I, I mean, in hindsight, thinking about it, like, how would a John Carpenter Western, like, spaghetti Western be? I would love to see, like, Carpenter in his prime do, like, a spaghetti Western, because he obviously did, like, a terrific take on, like, kung fu, you know, Asian mysticism and, like, Big Trouble in Little China. So he could, and he did a great job with that. So, like, he could have probably, like, you know, if he was inspired enough or given the chance to, because by the time, you know, he would have probably had the chance to, you know, Westerns were definitely on the dead and dead. So I think it's nice to kind of see like the, his interpretation here. Like it's, this is like, you know, the best we're ever going to get on like a Western take from him. And I think there are, I mean, you're right. It's not like overly, it's not overly Western, not until like the end of the film. But it is Western enough to where I think it like it's a a good enough effort. It's you know I would compare it to instead of like from dusk until dawn, like in some parts of like with like the Western elements, Trigun. The whole like ending like to this is kind of like Trigun. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like uh, you know, neo space Western, except here it's with you know vampires. It's like you know, get a little bit of the Wolfwood from uh. James Woods in this, especially when he's up on that cross and then he gets dragged out. You know, that's, you know, something we've seen before in Western films. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, you know, it's, it does have like, uh, almost like what you would call the firefly element to it too. I don't know if you've yep. seen firefly at all, but it, it has another one of those, you know, like neo Western styles that, um, sort of became more popular. Uh, in the 2000s that you, you, you take a, a differing genre and kind of shove Western into it. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what they did early on here with vampires. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I think it was a good experiment. I think it works fairly well in here. And just like from breast Dawn too, I think it does pretty good with that, um, that Western style and vampires has its own elements to it. It's not really similar. There's no, you know, from breast Dawn is almost like a heist movie, but it's got vampires in it too. Um, uh, vampires is almost more like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, except it's got James Woods. And um, there's a lot of, you know, like almost, I want to say like, um, it's more like treasure hunt stuff in in vampires. Um, because there's a, a big part of the movie is tracking down the master who is working off of a map 
like a of of uh, an ancient map where a uh, tomb raidery. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, there's a, a cross that he's searching for, the Berzier cross, and uh, it, it's got some of something of like a treasure hunt going on because they're both trying to look for this Berzier cross and trying to find out where it is, and. What? The umbrage I take was that I, I, I'm fine with that as like being a MacGuffin. When we find out, you know, Varric was uh, Valak, I should say, not Varric. Valak, you know, was, ex- you know, they exercised him to try to, you know, kill him, and they ended up creating vampires, which I think is a cool idea in of itself. Is like the whole why does the Catholic Church fight vampires? Because they created them. That's a cool idea. I really like that as an idea. I, that'd be like something kind of cool to see, like explored in other films and in part as like vampire lore. But what I take like umbrage with is like the fact, like when after we get our new father, um, you know, Father Adam, when he joins the crew, why? Like, and he's just to build fake, you know, tension. He's hesitant to tell James Woods, you know, what the hell's going on. And what certain things mean until James Wood threatens to beat the shit out of him. And then he tells him. And it's like, so what? wait, what, what's your reason for not telling him this information about, you know, who Valak is? What that portrait that you were given, you know, what does that mean? What's he looking for? Because all this stuff Adam knows, but he refuses to tell him because he's sworn not to tell. Why, though? I mean, just I mean, just because, like, the cardinal which we find out later is you know turncoat i don't think that's enough because i think he would be getting his orders from not just that cardinal it'd be like because he's part of this vampire killing cabal so he would have known so it wouldn't have just been that one cardinal saying by the way don't tell him about this yeah i i agree and it comes down to almost like having to cut up the the padre before he'll even tell him anything yeah, it's just, you know, plot, uh, you know, to try, kind of stretch the film out further than it needs to be, but yeah. it's uh, contrived. Yeah, I, I agree. I, that that did feel like it was unnecessary and, and just sort of tacked on so that they, they wouldn't have, uh, you know, as much to go off of. It just, it just extends the film. And actually, this film is pretty long at an hour and 50 minutes. It doesn't necessarily feel that long. I didn't think it was... It felt like it was overstaying its welcome, but um, that one element does add too much time to the to the running time. It could have cut it down a little bit, um, but I didn't really feel like you know. A lot of times we kind of speak out about longer films and whether they really need to be that long. I didn't really feel like Vampires was really stretching itself too long. No, I this is I did not really I was not checking like the time when I was watching this at all. I maybe did it once when I stopped to have to go to the bathroom. I was like, oh, how far am I in? Okay, but I mean, you know, I, I easily the weakest point of this film I would say is the overarching story itself because it is paper thin, and even though we get hammy performances from James Woods and we get a hammy performance from Daniel Baldwin. I actually enjoy that here because I think it, it it adds to it, you know. And <laughs> I mean, I don't think Daniel Baldwin was great in this, but like just watching him go from, you know, one mood to like to another is kind of like fun. With like that whiplash of him being, like, we gotta stick together, and then be like, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, and it does go <laughs> way 
in, in different directions. Like, like he beat he beats poor Katrina, and then he's like, well, not beat. I should. Well, yeah, beats because he like you know gives yeah. her a haymaker, and then he goes, <laughs> "We're in love," you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it like, kind of goes all over the place with him, and then especially like later on in the film at the end of the movie where now all of a sudden like we're supposed to think like he's become so entranced with Katrina that they need to have two days to themselves to drive off into the sunset uh, before becoming vampires. Do you think it's because he really loved her or like he was because he was bitten by her that he's under her trance? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really uh, give too much of an, uh, you know, too much whether that is the case or not. Um, I guess because it could go he, either way. Because it's it is such a one eighty. He goes from like, "What the fuck are you doing?" You know, to as soon as she bites him on the arm, he's like, "Oh, we gotta protect her." Which bad on James Woods, who's apparently our, his backstory is that he his dad was bitten by a vampire and then bit his mother, and then he had to kill them because they were vampires. Bad on this asshole vampire hunter for not recognizing that fucking Daniel Baldwin was bitten by her. Hey, man, you look sick. How come you got, like, the vampire shakes? Nothing, nothing. I just, uh, Stu's gonna jump off this building and we threw each other through the window. Oh, I'm fine. Really? You're sweating like you've been bit by a vampire? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> good. <laughs> he he should have known. He should definitely have been able to figure that out. Well, he's not that bright. He's a man of action. He's just, you know. <laughs> um, what do you think of the um, the score in this movie? Because this was arranged by John Carpenter. He ha- obviously had a band in this case because it's definitely got a more Western tinge to it. What did you think of the score that he does? It's all right. You know, it's definitely not one of his better scores, but it's it's all right. Like I said, like it's got like a – Weird mix of like his like you know scoring from into the mouth of madness with like a little bit of western twang with a little you know bong, 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 bong. um, but it's not bad. It's definitely you know, and he places it well enough in he places it well enough in the film to where it's not like it's uh overused, overstays its welcome, hits the right points so. But I uh, I felt like um, it's interesting that it doesn't really – like it almost feels like it's underutilized. There's not – it's not in the film that often. I felt like um, the presence of the score is really not too noticeable I f- and I thought that it could have been used a little bit more um, to evoke some more atmosphere because it, it, don't, it, it doesn't feel as mixed into the – to the movie as something like what we'll cover Prince of Darkness, which has a very evocative score that is pretty present throughout the movie, but also really helps to give an effective atmosphere to the movie. Whereas with vampires, I felt like it just didn't really seem like it had a, a seamless score worked into it. it. It kind of is there in places and then it's lacking in others. I, f- I felt like they could have, you know, used it a little bit more to its advantage. No. No, you're right, but like I said, I don't think he had anything, like, as a piece overall that was, like, you know, noteworthy to 
That is that's really that really stands out. Yep. So I mean, like again, like could he have been used probably more? Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think overall. I think it would have been cooler to kind of see like a greater twist on like you know kind of uh tinkering and messing more with like the spaghetti western styles and he doesn't really do that mm-hmm. you know outside of like adding a little twangy synth to uh some of his bits that are in the film yeah because it would have been cool to kind of see uh his take on like any morricone style like you know scoring mm-hmm. yep. you know like having like a nice big what a blown opportunity, like, having, like, a nice big, like, kind of standoff at the end instead of, like, this, you know, machine gun get dragged off and then, you know, fire away. Like, actually have, like, a standoff at the end between them and see, like, you know, what happens and have, like, you know, a carpenter standoff theme. Mm-hmm. That yep. would have been a nifty idea. Yeah. So how about let's let's talk about it. Let's, we haven't talked about it. we we laughed, but like, what do you think of Daniel Baldwin? I mean, I think he's he's not terrible. Um, yeah, he goes he swings quite wildly, but I also think that might be part of the script. Um, and and I don't think that he is he's too distracting from being, uh, you know, for being terrible. Um, you know, he's not a great actor. And there's a reason why he doesn't get used a lot, but I think he makes the best of it in vampires and, um, you know, paired with James Woods, especially in some of those scenes where, um, they have a dissension. There's a one scene where, um, they kind of are about to fight it out. And then, uh, father Adam gets in the way and stops them from fighting, uh, because they have to go find the master. Uh, that's a pretty good scene, um, where you get two really, defined personalities uh two very brisk you know macho personalities and and put them together i think they work well together you know if you had james woods and someone that wasn't i don't know as uh um i don't know what the word is but statured as daniel baldwin i don't know if it would work and then i think they just they play off each other really well in this movie What did you think? He's no, he's actually, you know, not that bad. He's got kind of a couple of uh nice little one liners. You know, like the whole like how do you like your steak as you stake somebody? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um He's not that bad. The only the only thing like the only critique I would have is that whole like, you know, switch from this bitch to like I love her. Right, which and, again, which again, I I don't blame him, and I wouldn't blame Carpenter. I blame that more on like the, the screenplay itself from that rapid shift. You know, it would have been cool. Like I said, if it was more like, why is he falling in love with her? It's because of the vampire bite, and then watch like have that kind of explained in the lore because it's never that's never been like anything, at least to my knowledge, that's been part of like uh, vampire lore. That's a nifty thing because again, like playing the whole like you know sexual innuendo thing mm-hmm. and the sexuality, they're like that'd be really cool. Like, oh, you got bitten by her, and I you know feel the love bug for it. That'd be cool. It's not explained though, so you, it kind of just it comes out of nowhere. Like, oh, you know, kind of like a teenager with like its uh hard and fast romance. Yep. 
Yeah, I thought it was, you know, I, I think otherwise they do pretty well. Um, I think uh, Cheryl Lee is pretty good at, as the vampire, and you can definitely see a nice progression there as she uh, begins to turn, um, which I think they did really well with the uh, the makeup effects. Um, KNB's worked on this, and I think we see that the the effects that they do are are pretty good. Um, as you notice, maybe the some of the um, props aren't that great, but the KNB effects are really good, especially the explosion um, for the vampires. The last one with the master is, is really nice. Um, and then also they did a pretty good job with the explosions uh, from the uh, motel as well, because obviously James Wood sets it on fire and then uh, it explodes right behind him as he's walking away. Nice and, nice and badass. Yeah. It was really cool. Watching I think they, him, you know, they did that pretty well. You know, it looked, uh, looked pretty realistic. Um, other than that, what else, anything else that you had to, to add to vampires? How'd you like the whole, like, uh, them creeping around, like, you know, whipping their guns out and like pointing them like menacingly, like they're playing Call of Duty. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. James Woods especially does that quite a bit, like, uh, creeping around with his, his, uh, pistol out. Um, you know, and, and to be fair, I'm almost wondering, like, what what would that really do? Like, what guns don't really have that much effect on these vampires anyway. I think it's just to, like kind of like beat them back until they can, you know. Yeah, yeah. the 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 biggest thing is apparently, um, we have so James Wood says to kill them is to stake them through the heart, but we do see him stake them and cut off their heads because that's pretty traditional vampire uh, lore as well. Um, so I guess that's just, you know, just in case. Cut off the heads, too. I thought the whole bit with, like, the whole vampire, which that's also kind of a opportunity when we see uh, Valak kind of come back and rise up, and then you have all these other vampires. I thought at first it was, like, zombie vampires. We were going to get, like... Uh, Oh, when they come out of the dirt, right? Yeah, like have James Woods' uh, dead crew, like, you know, start following him. Mm. And ended up being, like, other masters, and put it in air quotes, because we didn't really get to see them be masterly vampires. They just kind of, you know. Yeah, no, they don't really have much of anything to do with the, you know, with the actual events, because they're pretty much murdered off in ease. But that was like a cool bit, though, because it's like, oh, kind of like zombie vampires. That's like neat. And then it's like, oh, no, there's just other air quote master vampires. Yeah. And, you know, but they they don't do anything. So it's kind of a moot point. All right. So on a scale of one to ten blinged out crossbows, what would you give vampires from 1998? I'm going to surprise you. Okay. Seven out of ten. All right, yeah. I enjoyed this film. It's campy as shit. It's ridiculous as shit. But I think it is a worthwhile and fun watch. I like the premise. As everyone knows, if you've listened to the podcast before, we're big Western fans here. And I love the idea of a vampire in Western. Spaghetti Western. Great idea. Is it executed well? Not really, but I think James Woods, his presence is enough because he's, I mean, he's not great in this film, 
but he's hammy and funny enough to make it work. Same thing with Daniel Baldwin. He he's hammy enough to make it work. I think there's a, enough good enough ideas to carry the film and make it enjoyable. If they tweak the the script and made it more coherent and have more depth and maybe have more depth to the performances, it'd be a much better film. It's not. I think Carpenter does does a really good job on this. It's he's definitely a steady hand director on this. And I think his take on the Western is interesting. Uh, I would. It also leads me to want to see him actually tackle the Western, but due to his old age, it's not going to be possible. But I think if this is what we got, I think it was a worthwhile effort and a lot of fun. Um, the whole vampires blowing up that, that like right there seals the film for me. Cause like the whole them getting dragged out and the effects that they use to have them get destroyed in the sun is absolutely great. Cause it, it's just a great effect. I love it to death. So that alone, like will make this film like a seven out of 10 for me. Fun watch. I'd watch it again. Um, could definitely be cut down, but overall it's good. Yeah, I would give this a 7 out of 10 as well. I agree. I think that it does a fairly good job with what it sets out to do. Um, Like I said, I don't really see Carpenter's signature too much here, but I think that he's not really stepping in the way of the script. Um, And so the script is, you know, I wouldn't say it's anything to write home about, but it is an interesting take on Western vampires um, with even somewhat like a Southwestern flair, like a Southern... um, flair to it as well and uh i think that you know it, it does a fairly good job for what it wants to be an action vampire film um it, it's not traditional horror in any sense it's it's certainly more rooted in the action um type of genre um but i think that it does a pretty good job with every part of its element and even the you know while i i think that this the script might be pretty simple i think the simplicity of you know just searching for that bruisier cross um, works to its favor because there's not a lot to dive into with the film. With that said, it's uh, it's kind of lacking some of the social commentary that you expect from um, a Carpenter movie, and uh, I think that you know that kind of uh, takes away from it in in a sense. Um, but otherwise, if you're looking for a nice action movie with vampires in it, with good special effects from KMB, and um, you know a pretty solid hour and fifty minutes uh, running time that doesn't really skimp on anything and it doesn't feel too long then vampires is really a go-to it's a lot better than i think people might think of it as or remember it or maybe even just think of it as because of the cover art which you know is is admittedly not great um i think some people might have been thrown off by that but uh you know for what it is in a, a a later entry in carpenter's directory um it's pretty good and i would encourage people who haven't seen it uh, to to at least give it a watch and see what they think because I think they're going to enjoy it a little bit more. And even if not, they still have James Woods to laugh at in here. So there's always something. Just send him pics of him in here on his Twitter. And also, I didn't bring this up. The film, and, and James Woods specifically, his character Jack Crow, has a odd obsession that almost seems homosexual because he continually brings up whether uh father adam has a boner during his fights and it's very odd it's a very weird 
character trait. I don't quite understand it. And it, it, it smacks of like, I don't know, homosexuality that he's like secretly hinting at. And even in the film prior to that, he also uses the word fags, which is, you know, something from the nineties, that kind of, um, Oh, he said like a pencil puff. He called somebody in this a pencil puffer or something like Yeah, like a fag pencil pusher is what he says or something like that, I think. Those those comments don't tend to age well from the nineties. Uh but you know, it is weird. I like I wanted to bring that up that, you know, you could always mention that there is some homosexual undertones in vampires that James Woods was in. <laughs> So, yeah, that's our vampire show. Starting off Halloween well. So, we are going to be back every week with a new episode for, uh, of Carpenter's Films. And next week, I got to take a look because I can't remember. I think it. I think we were going to do – I can't remember what I had uh, put on the schedule because I kind of blocked them all out. And I don't remember now exactly what the schedule had. Um, and look at my, my photo here that I made and cause I tried to get kind of, uh, organized with how we we're going to do this. We're going to go like pretty good movie, kind of bad movie, pretty good movie, kind of bad movie and kind of go in that scenario because it just makes sense. I think, yeah. So the next one is the fog, which should be fun. I don't know. When's the last time you've seen The Fog? It's been a long while. Mm, it's been a few years for me. I te- I revisit the soundtrack every now and then, but I haven't seen the movie in uh, a few years. So I'm really interested to talk about that one because I think we'll have some fun with it. I, you know, to be honest, with you, I probably remember more from the remake than I do the original. Oh, really? I don't remember the remake at all. I think I've seen it once or twice. Had it on DVD a little while back. I've seen it once, maybe. I don't remember that one at all. However, we do get to talk about Adrian Barbeau for The Fog again. We love to bring up the Carpenter Barbeau triangle. <laughs> So, oh, and you know who else is going to be in there? Jamie Lee Curtis. No. Janet Lee. No. Tom Atkins. There you go. You know second, what you're not going to get though? Tom Atkins' se- ass. I was going to say your second favorite actor behind. Uh, yeah. John Saxon. Yeah, you're not going to get jo- you're not going to get his ass this time though. Which fun fact I didn't know until I was watching like a YouTube like in-depth Star Trek video when they were looking for the new uh for Captain Picard originally, John Saxon tried out for it. Mm. Wouldn't, Wouldn't that, that have be been great? interesting? Instead of, you know, Patrick Stewart, we would have gotten John Saxon. Yeah. I would be I would've been down for that. Yeah. I want my I want a Star Trek with John Saxon roaming the galaxy now. Well, Tune in next week because we're going to have our show on the fog up and tune in throughout the Halloween season, September and October, as we do many Carpenter films in his canon, all of the horror films, basically. By the time we're done with this, all we'll have left to do is like Assault on Precinct 13 and Starman. Yeah, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Eyes of Laura Mars. They live. They live. We'll have a few. We'll still have a few. He's got quite a few under his belt so 
but we're going to do most of them. So it should be fun. So stay with us for the Halloween season. Um, Take, oh. Oh, no, no, no. I got to do uh, our social yeah. media. Yeah, you can't say I, that yet. I know. You almost you, signed us off too early. Well, you sounded like you were, so. <laughs> no. But you can find us on any podcasting app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're on it. So you can subscribe to us, leave us a nice review, download our episodes, and all of our past Halloween episodes. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us, Blood and Black Rum Podcast, on there. And we have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. You can write to us. Let us know what you want us to cover. Uh, let us know, um, you know, if you've got uh, any ideas for subsequent Halloween seasons. We'll take those and put them into consideration. Uh, you can donate to us on Patreon at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast. Appreciate anything you can donate. And as always, we hope to see you back next time for our Halloween season. We're going to be doing Carpenter all month long so stay tuned two months long so stay tuned take care